welcome to the Art of Coaching podcast, a show that takes a deep dive into all things health and fitness. Each episode will include in-depth answers to listener questions, and of course, plenty of opportunities to laugh along with the hosts. It's a hot mic. All right. That's good. Hopefully it's working. Okay. On my screen, it says it is. All right. Podcast outline. Josh. Mark. How's it going? Excuse me. It is going well. Excuse me. It is going well. Did you like today's workout? You wrote it. (laughs) So... Yes, I did. It was, I knew it was going to be difficult just because it's new, uh, new kind of combination of movements. So it's the beginning of a block or, or a new block. Um, it was just difficult in different ways Yeah. than expected. Including those ring hamstring curls. Yes. <laughs> I, I got to be careful not to like sit with the knees too flexed. Otherwise I get a massive Charlie horse. Yeah. So if I kick this way really aggressively <laughs> at any point you'll know that's why okay yeah uh yeah did that one yesterday we we're yeah, talking about the, yesterday the front squat and uh farmer's care i, I did it yesterday one because it just kind of worked out better with what i had done i worked out at home on sunday and so it kind of just worked out better but two i wanted to see how well um kind of what to expect for i like knowing what to expect and i think it um allows me to coach a little bit better and share some insights with members when I'm, when we're going through workouts. So I knocked that out yesterday and whoo. Yeah, man, definitely different. You know, we're used to doing farmer's carries with maybe something like a machine or some running or, um, I don't know, maybe some other sort of carry, but like when you incorporate a pretty neurologically taxing movement, like a moderate weight front squat, uh, it definitely upped the ante a little bit, made it a little bit harder. Yeah, and we'll get into details later whenever we kind of uh, lay out what the this block of programming is going to look like, the thought process behind it, stuff like that. So I don't want to give too much away too yeah. soon, but yeah, we will we'll certainly detail that out for people. Cool. Um, yeah, you got to get here. your paper for yeah. uh, for your time, for time stamps. St- seems to be the only thing I ever forget. So while you're doing that, I'm okay. going to go ahead and uh, talk about the two announcements that we have. The first is a meal prep clinic mm-hmm. uh, that is coming up on July 10th. And I believe I'm getting this right, that Steph is going to host it at her home. What? I think. I, I, I didn't could be know wrong. That. I thought I heard somebody say that. So I did not know that. That's pretty if, cool. Uh, if that's not true, then uh, maybe we just made a reservation at Steph's <laughs> house that she doesn't know about. So. Yeah. But yeah, a meal prep clinic going to be on July 10th. And then the very next Saturday, uh, it is a farewell workout for Mark Z. For me. On Saturday at 9 a.m. And then we're doing a little get together. Uh, we're gonna, we've got some activities planned, one with a razor at uh, 4 p.m. <laughs> at Armature Works. Some clippers. <laughs> yeah, some clippers. Yeah. We're going to be bringing those. Uh, yeah, 4 p.m. at Armature Works. Yep. Just show up. We're not going to say a place. You're just going to kind of wander around like a lemming until you find somebody else that you know and that looks familiar from the gym. Oh, yeah. So That's normally how that kind of thing works yeah. anyway. Uh, yeah, so that'll be a good time. I like getting together with people outside of the gym. So that'll be a blast. So looking forward to that. Yep, yep, And then, yep. of course, the workout as well. Who doesn't like working out? That's right. That's right. Um, Any okay. other announcements that we have or is that it? Uh, we, we don't have 7 PMs on Fridays starting That's in right. July, but that doesn't really affect anybody because <laughs> <laughs> nobody came anyway. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, yeah, it's almost like ironic to announce that. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So this is the last announcement today. No more announcing it. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, you know what I just realized on my computer? What? My computer is stuck on Friday, July 25th. Like the date yes. is? Yes. That's not good. You're stuck in time, man. Like that's like Men in Black Three. Yeah. Wow. This is really bizarre. Was that the last time you opened it? I mean, it must have been. <laughs> yeah. Holy moly! I've never had that happen. Okay. Well. 
we're talking about? <laughs> Are we in the future then, or is my computer in the past? Let's say we're in the future. Did you, speaking of future, this is about as futuristic as it gets, right? Because people have been talking about this since the freaking 1800s. I just saw on Instagram today that the very first flying car just completed its first flight. And it was like a 35-minute flight from like some airport to another airport in Slovakia or something like that. Mm. I'll have to get the exact details, but I think that's pretty incredible. That is. I did not hear about that. And it was like a transformer. If I saw correctly, I'll have to go back and read the article. I was kind of just skimming through, Uh, but it was like... It showed, you know, it had wings and a tail like a, it looked like a plane, but with like a car cabin, but then it showed it driving on the ground and it's like everything like retracted back in. It's like a freaking transformer. Like the Decepticons is pretty cool. They are taking over. Yeah. So that's, that's futuristic. So I would say we're living in the future and that's just a stone age computer. And the computer is living in the past. Yeah. We're living in, in a time where the MacBook Air is a, is no, 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 MacBook Pro. MacBook. Not oh, the MacBook sorry. Air. I think I got. The, oh, I got the Air. Yes. Um. Yeah, that's less futuristic now because we got flying cars. Well, it's all right. Can't all be perfect. The flying car can. Would Would you, if you had like a long commute, would you partake in the flying car action? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I love flying. Flying so cool. It is. But it'd have to be a pretty long commute. <laughs> That is true. I mean, I live five minutes from here. I'd st- probably still, get, still get in the car here. <laughs> I got to go to the airport. <laughs> the, uh, the propeller noise. I actually watched a video a couple months ago about why the economics of helicopter commuting did not work out. Lo- you, you want the Cliff's Notes version? It was just too expensive. I was going to make a joke, but yeah, I didn't. That was it. it that was, <laughs> it was a 20-minute video for them to just talk in detail about it just being too expensive and not scalable. All right. Thanks for that. What, what made it so expensive? I mean, the fuel, the fact that you, I mean, you can get places pretty close to where you need to be, but it's not cheap to run a helicopter. Right. So, and then in order for it to be scalable enough, you would theoretically need, say that your average helicopter can hold eight people. And I don't even know if this is true, but let's just say that it's eight people. So you're, you, you need to rely on the fact that these eight people are not only taking off from the same exact spot that's convenient for them, but they're also landing in the exact spot that is convenient for them. And so because you got to understand that the people that could afford this service means that their time is worth more than the money that they're doing. So they're not going to go out of their way to park and then walk a couple of blocks to the helicopter pickup point that's most convenient. They want to just go where that's most convenient for them. Yeah. And that's not necessarily the same place that is convenient for the other seven people that can afford to be on the helicopter. Does that make sense? So you pretty much, people are so snobby that it didn't work out. Correct. (laughs) Yes. Oh, man. I wonder how flying cars will be then. I don't know. I mean, it worked out well for uh, Marty McFly and Doc. Did it? Maybe. <laughs> All right. Okay. We got some questions today. Um, yep. And we kind of already detailed one of them because um, we were talking a little bit about one of the workouts we were doing in the block. Yes. And I think prefacing all of what we wanted to talk about today would help um, by answering this first question. So... Um, Josh, I'm going to ask this to you because I know you wrote this block. I did. What does the layout look like for this block of training or this block of programming? So I'll start first by covering kind of the intention. So the intention of this next six weeks is over the last several blocks that we've done, we've spent a lot of time developing um, control, motor control, some strength endurance, and now we want to start Uh, expressing the increases in strength that folks have been building just from a neurological standpoint. So we've put in a lot of time to develop this control. So what you'll see is um, like a a big difference between this block and some of the other blocks is the rep count is going to go down with each week. So for squatting, like I've got it pulled up here. So uh, we're doing some push pressing, we're doing some split squatting, we're going to be doing some dumbbell bench press, so on and so forth, some step ups. Um, 
as the weeks progress, you're actually going to see the rep ranges go down. And then we're also going to allow people to move their weight up. So it's not going to be that the reps go up and the weight stays the same. We're actually going to bring the reps down and allow people to work on expressing the strength that they've built cool. over time. So that's, that's kind of the intention. And then kind of wrapped inside of that is just the actual layout of the week. So there's, there's a couple of different ways that we can tackle programming. So the, the way that I tackled it this time is I just looked at, like we've talked about before, we have to take into account not everybody comes every single day. Some people do, so you have to balance that too. But a lot of people come like every other day. So we want to make sure that we don't say, because we've talked about this before, that we're not only ever squatting on Monday and we're not doing that movement pattern on a Tuesday or a Thursday or any other day. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't come Monday, then you're never going to get that. And we don't want that to happen, right? So we, we kind of move the days, you know, what the focus is for the day as the weeks progress. So what we saw today on Wednesday, we'll see next week on Tuesday. Okay. So that the, just like, you know, we have done in previous blocks. Okay. So cool. that there's that consideration. I think it helps for people to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Now in terms of the layout of the days, um, my goal is always to balance excuse me, the fundamental movement patterns of which are squat, hinge, push, pull, and core. And then wrapped within that is obviously cyclical work, which is a combination of basically all of those movement patterns. So we want to make sure that we balance those across the week. And then also recognition that you can do, you can work total body. You can do a workout that is primarily upper body. And then you can also do a workout that is primarily lower body. So um, the way that the, the weeks are going right now is it is a total body followed by an upper body day followed by a lower body day. And then it'll be total upper, lower, total upper, lower, okay. total upper, lower. So, and that kind of sequence plays out, but remember you're not always, even though we had a total body day on Monday next week, we'll see that move to the end of the week which is actually going to be on saturday so we okay. are bringing saturday into the equation too cool yeah so there's that now what does it mean when we say um total body versus say a upper body and i'll just take a look at uh, i've got the programming pulled up here the difference between monday of this week and tuesday of this week so monday of this week we had a uh, dumbbell split squat so we've got the squatting pattern in there um, but it was a split squat, not a bilateral squat, meaning you're squatting two, two legs moving at the same time, right? Yeah. So that's unilateral, uh, pushing or excuse me, squatting. And then we have a chin up, which is a upper body pulling vertical pulling movement. And then in the conditioning, we had devil's press, which is a hinge movement. And then an ab mat setup, which is a core movement. So we had upper, lower, um, squat, hinge, push, pull, core. We basically had every movement pattern in there. Yeah. Tuesday, on the other hand, was a strict upper body day. Do the legs work a little bit on the calories on the machine? Yes, of course. Do they work a little bit on the push press? Yes, of course. But the upper body is really the focal, focal point of that day. So you had a vertical push, a horizontal pull, anti-rotation for core, and then your cyclical work. So you might be thinking, if you're following along and taking notes, okay, we did some upper body stuff on the total body day. We also followed it on day two in the upper body focus day. But the upper body movements that we did on day one was a horizontal push and a vertical pull. Ooh. So you can either go on the pushing, you can go horizontal or vertical, pulling horizontal or vertical. So we did a horizontal push and a vertical pull on Monday. On Tuesday, it was still upper body, but now we reverted to a vertical push and a horizontal pull. And this is all in terms of like a design perspective, a way to make sure that people stay balanced and they don't succumb to overuse injuries, which we know can certainly be a big problem where the movement variety isn't well thought out. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So that's kind of the, the breakdown of the days. And if you've been here Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of this week, or you've looked at the programming, you've seen what's going on. 
Um, and then on day four of this week, we're going to have kind of what we've dubbed the aerobic day. Um, I don't like to call it a recovery day because it, it, it still is checking the box for movement, and it's a very healthy practice to do things like this to where you walk away feeling refreshed. So that day is actually a total body aerobic day. So we've got squatting, hinging, vertical pushing, horizontal pulling, and then a core movement. And then day five, we're going to go back to upper focus day. And day six on Saturday, we're actually going to, we're still doing partner workouts on Saturdays, but it is going to be a little bit more of a lower body focused uh, partner workout that we have coming on Saturday. Cool. I love this stuff. Yeah. So, so then, so the way it'll work, you went, you went total upper, lower, total upper, lower. Does that mean Monday through Saturday next week, it'll go upper, lower, total, upper, lower, total, total. Yep. Okay, cool. Yep. It's always going to be in that order. It's just, if you were to visualize a calendar, it's like everything shifts to the left. Got it. Yeah. So yeah. like Monday becomes Saturday, Saturday becomes Friday, so on and so forth. Now, there are a plethora of other things that you could do to like change things up and make it fancy and keep the body guessing. And I'm saying this very uh, sarcastically because those are just stupid ways to make things look overly complex and fancy. Right. Like I could say, okay, well, we're going to go total upper lower, total upper lower. And then next week we're going to go total lower upper whoa whoa oh my gosh and that's just another variable that doesn't need to be put into place right so we're just trying to change a couple of things over time again because the goal is to allow people to progress and this is a very easy logical straightforward way to do that and so this is week one that we're in the middle of right now and it's a six-week block so the next four weeks which will take us through week five will basically build off of this so I don't want to say that this is a testing week because that creates all sorts of anxiety for people myself included but then in week six you're gonna see these same workouts that we've did, done this week because I think it's really neat for be able for people to be able to see and recognize and celebrate progress that they have made progress from a loading perspective progress from a work perspective or even progress with learning new movements like we did today with the ring hamstring curl. I mean, I don't know how the other classes are going to fare doing this, but I know at 9 a.m. we had a lot of fun just trying to learn this what is a brand new movement for probably 95% of people Yeah, uh, to do something like this. Um, and one of the big reasons that I put that in is when you look at the different ways that you can hinge, there is a, a, a hip-focused hinge movement. Um, and then a knee-focused hinge movement. And we can think of dozens of hip-focused movements, right? Everything from a deadlift to a power clean to a kettlebell swing to a good morning. These are all hinging movements that are dominated by the hip. Knee-dominant stuff tends to be more isolation-driven. So I wanted to make sure that we got that in there to help balance some things out because... A, a, a hallmark of a not so well written program is one that completely doesn't address certain movement patterns. Right. So if we can address that, then that only makes it that much more well-rounded and balanced. So for example, something like we'll take today's, right? Because I think we're going to see a lot of people do this one today just because I know Wednesday's a busy day. I think people are going to like this workout. They want to give it a try from the two classes I've coached so far. Um, between today and week six, what is your goal for both? Let's talk the ring hamstring curl um, and the Metcon that we did today. So is your goal to see um, potentially times improve? Is it to see maybe people get a, couple, a little bit more comfortable with the load they have on the bar? Is it the same idea for the farmer's carries? Like what, what is your goal? And we don't have to do every day, but like yeah. a snapshot of what you're thinking f to accomplish for this specific day. Yeah, it's a really good question. And I think that my answer can actually apply to every single day on on the uh, on the programming. So for the ring hamstring curl, I think the the biggest um, piece of growth and progress that people will see is just feeling way more comfortable doing this movement. And there's a lot of value in that. Now, 
from a purely biomechanical standpoint, we could connect your ability to get better at these to your ability to deadlift more, to squat more, to pull more, like all those things, they, they will certainly have downstream effects, which are positive, but more than anything, this is, it's like the first time that you learn how to do a bicep curl, right? Are you going to get stronger and is it gonna to translate to other things? Yeah, but part of the win in progressing is just learning a new skill. And then how it applies is going to be different for everybody, so there's that. Um, in, in terms of the actual workout, so we did the six rounds for time. It could be that you finish the workout faster. It could be that you are uh, moving with better movement efficiency. It could be that you are moving, um, or, or moving more comfortably in the squatting pattern. It could be something like I'm going, maybe the first week that you did this, um, the, let's say the time doesn't change, but you broke twice, two different times on the farmer's carry. And now you're only going to break one time. Wow. Okay. And so in theory, it's like, well, my time should improve if I only broke one time, maybe, but if you going unbroken forces you to slow down somewhere else, that's not necessarily a bad thing because you're then what you're doing there is you're negating the win that you had. So what I would encourage people to do is determine what a measure of success is for you in any of these particular workouts that you're doing. So for me, it might be, I'm going to keep everything in the same spot and I'm just going to reduce the transition time between when I come in and when I pick up the bar. Now, maybe an easy way to measure that is just, well, you end up finishing the workout you know, let's just say that I've reduced the transition by two seconds every time. So that's a 12 second differential in my workout time. And it's like, well, 12 seconds isn't that big of a deal. Yeah, but the, the measure of progress for me was not the 12 seconds. The measure of progress was knowing that my transition was more intentional. Right. In a shorter amount of time. That's, so, that's a lot more applicable to the rest of the workouts you do rather than saying, oh, I did this workout 12 seconds faster. It's like, no, I overall got better at my transitions, which mm -hmm. can be applied across an entire week of programming like this right. week um, versus just one singular workout. Yeah. So that's why, you know, when, when we program stuff, it's, it's very easy just because in fitness in general – so many people hang their successes on, did I get stronger? Did I build more muscle? Did I do this workout faster? Did I do more work in the same amount of time? And that's only like three or four things. And if you didn't check the box on any of those, you walk away feeling like a failure. And yeah. the name of the game in fitness is consistency. Right. Now, of course, a measure of consistency is just, you know, obviously showing up and, and doing the work, but if you limit your progress to just one of those four things that I named, lifting more weight, doing more work, doing the same amount of work in less time, those things, it's like, okay, you're only giving yourself a few opportunities to get a win. Right. So how about you expand it and then personalize it? So I'm not going to say, okay, the measure of success for this program is everyone does that six rounds for time faster because that's, that would never be my intention. Right. Because I can write the same workout for 12 different people and have different intentions for each of those and thus different outcomes and measures of success for each of them. I think I love that because it's something that I feel like has been lost in translation for such a long time in that it's okay. Like we're, we're going to say, we're going to clean and jerk now and it's January 1st and we're going to do it again on July 1st. We're going to do it in six months. It's like if you theoretically you should be able to clean and jerk more. And, but what if you don't, right? Right. Then it's a really slippery slope mentally that yeah. you're going down if you didn't clean the jerk more. We're doing six rounds for time now. In five weeks, five weeks from today, we're going to do it again, right? So it would be the sixth week. If you didn't get faster, then what the heck were you doing for the last five weeks? Like, no, it's it's way – there's way more to it than that. There's maybe you – your front squats today or your clean and jerk or whatever you feel better doing it like you said you change transition time you maybe you're doing more much more of the stuff even just one movement in here with less pain than you had before right you that's know, another so. great marker you know is 
okay, I had pain when I tried this. And then in the sixth week, I don't have pain. Right. And I just feel like it's something that gets lost in translation. I think in a big part, because we love doing this so much, we love seeing that, I guess you could call it that, um, explicit, those explicit results rather than those implicit ones. Mm, Now mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. all really tangible, like a, like a, a change in transition time. If you take two seconds less every time, that's tangible, right? You can feel yourself get on the bar faster, get on the dumbbells or kettlebells faster. Um, but I would say that's a lot more of like an implicit than, okay, black and white. I lifted more or I did this workout faster that we've gotten caught up in for so long now that is it a great measure of progress? Yeah, absolutely. Should it be the only one? Absolutely not. It should probably shouldn't even be the primary one because of how how long of a journey a fitness journey is. Right. Right. Yeah, it's for life. I don't know who said it, and I really wish I did so I could give proper credit, but there's a great quote that says, not everything that can be measured matters, and not everything that matters can be measured. Well. So, and that's so applicable, of course, to life in general, because that's what it was written about, but just into these things. So it would be very easy, again, to kind of um, repeat in a different way what we've already said. It would be very easy to say, yep, the goal is that you get faster, you know, doing this workout. It's like, yeah, but I I would guess that 7 out of 10 people that just worked out with us don't really care about that. Yeah. You know? What if in the name of getting faster, your sleep gets progressively worse and your stress goes up and thus your relationships at home suffer? Is that a win? Right. Well, it's a, it's a win on paper for the programming, but it's a loss in three other very important areas. So to me, that's three to one. That's a loss. Yeah. So that's why I say that, and this is hard work. I know what I'm asking of people is not easy. It's, it's hard work. But that's why I say that you, you need to take the time to figure out, okay, I just did this workout today. What would be a win? Maybe a win would be not chalking up for four of the six rounds like I did today. <laughs> um, but it, it's, it's different. And the, the best thing that you can do is, is personalize it for yourself. Yeah. Write it down. That's really know? cool. I like that you're making that, you know, you've, you've gone out there and said that that's what you're looking for in this block. I mean, admittedly, even the ones I wrote is like, yeah, of course, like we did three, five minute intervals. Like you want to be able to hold that pace for 15 minutes. Like that's what I'm looking for. But if it's, Hey, like you're able to do this better, do that better. So that's, that's cool. I'm, I'm glad you said that. Yeah. I love the thought process. I like the total upper lower, total upper lower type thing. I love the workouts that you wrote, um, this week. And I'm excited to see where it goes, like in terms of like the progressions and stuff like that. So, yeah. And, and just to kind of detail that out a little bit, uh, a little bit more. I mean, if you've been paying attention to any of the stuff that, you know, Mark has written the last several blocks, it's, it's very much the same as this week. We did a a big chunk of work to kind of set the stage. And then now what we're going to do is break them into intervals and teach you guys how to pace specifically for work to be done like this. And then whenever we redo it again in week six, you put all those pieces, all that learning that you just uh, did for the last six weeks, you put all those pieces together and you, you may, like I said, you may get better, you may not, but you're going to walk away better for it no matter what, because you took the time to learn and to put, it's like you, you just expand your, and this may sound silly and, and woo-woo, but like you expand <laughs> your fitness vocabulary, you know, yeah. and your awareness a lot. Right. Yeah. Uh, yesterday was cool. We had, it was the 20-minute Elon Max Callum machine and um, and then the plank on the even minutes. Um, it was it was an Elon. And so, you know, I was getting a lot of questions about it and people were coming up to me and they're like, hey, so what do these mean? What are my calorie amounts mean? Whether they held the same thing across all of them, which was impressive, whether they got faster, also very impressive, or whether they got, um, I don't like saying worse, but we'll just say they did less calories across each of their 10 rounds, right? So across the 20 minutes. Um, and it was cool, like seeing that, okay, what does this mean? Right? Because it's a relatively, you could say, quote, like simple workout, like you're on a machine and you're doing a plank, but by the end of it, at the end of the 20 minutes, people are all like, Ooh, okay. Like, yeah, that, that was tough. Right. And there's, they're shocked because it is a machine and some planking. And so they say, what does this mean? And so we were kind of talking about that a little bit. 
Um, and it's cool seeing that drive and being able to say, okay, so like next time, so like last time, um, or yesterday you were doing, what was it? It was 10 calories, then 11, and then some 12s on the assault bike, right? Yeah. So the first four rounds I did 10, the next three rounds I did 11. And then I was planning to go 12, 12, 12, but I ended up doing 12, 12, 13. So what's your going to be your focus or what are you going to strive to do in five weeks in that six week when we retest it, Ret- uh, retest, redo the workout, I yeah. should say. Yeah, so for that one specifically, uh, my goal is just to become more comfortable on the assault bike. So I've spent, I mean, I don't even know how many hundreds or thousands of hours on the rower and I can close my eyes and tell you pretty much plus or minus a few you know seconds or cals per hour like what my pace is i'm just very comfortable on the rower i'm not on the assault bike so for me it's just understanding you know that even though the the whole body system that gets worked in the assault bike it's very different from the rower even though you feel like oh man i'm I don't want to say like you're having this panic moment, but it's just very different. It's a very different cyclical modality than any, any other machine in the arsenal that we have. So my goal is to get more comfortable. And by that, what I mean is knowing that, okay, I can go just a little, little bit faster, one or two RPMs maybe. And I'm okay. I can recover in the 60 seconds, which is really a 30 second plank and 30 seconds of rest. Yeah. But I can recover enough and repeat that work. Uh, I don't want to say indefinitely, but for 20 minutes, I can do that. Right. You know? Yeah. So, um, I would like to see my output go up and I'll probably dance around the 11 or 12 mark and see how far I can hold that. But, for me, the win is just going to know from it, it's going to be knowing that I'm comfortable on the bike, pushing it a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. That one was interesting because it's, especially if you're on the assault bike specifically, if you really get after it for 20, 30 seconds, um, you can really jack the calorie total up if you're strong enough yeah. right, to to get a fairly decent score and there is some gamification to and i were joking about that yesterday is like quote unquote beating the system is what he kept saying but really when the intention is it's it's not what can you do in one minute it's 60 seconds across the board and then it's you're trying to make sure that you don't drop below like your lowest total right um it changes things a little bit so can you push it and get really aggressive in 30 seconds or so? Yeah, but now you're actually resting for 90 seconds instead of 60 on, 60 off. Yeah. Yeah. So what would you say to Perez the next time he does it? Um, I would say to go to 60 seconds, at least for the first couple. Right. And then you've just, now you've set the barometer and it's like, okay, I know I'm not, I can't, I'm not going to go below that. I'm comfortable with that. And I, I just think you're going to do a lot more intentional learning that way than blowing it out of the water for 30 seconds. Gaming the system. Yeah. To Brez. Yeah. Cool. Well, I love it. I'm looking forward to it. I, I can't wait to see how it progresses. I really, like I said, I really like all of it. So yeah. cool. Um, okay. So let's move on to the second one. Wow. We spent like 25 minutes on that one. That was cool. Um, yeah. I have no <laughs> recollection of, uh, or, or, knowledge of what time it is because like i said my computer <laughs> still is living on uh friday june 25th yeah. 10 so. 10 58 okay wednesday it's wednesday by the way it was okay. wednesday my okay. dudes <laughs> so um this question we actually got after talking uh about the workout that we were just talking about the machine and the plank one uh from yesterday and Basically, we went down this rabbit hole of what do my calories mean? What, how can I apply this? Um, and I mentioned something about a high power output and how uh, probably something, I don't even remember how I brought it up, but uh, something about how if you can't maintain those calories, then you started a power output that was way higher than what you should have for that 20-minute workout. Um, and then we started talking about that high power output or think super high intense type stuff like sprint type deals or, yes. or very short intervals, like four minute AMRAPs, 
rest 10 minutes, stuff like that, right? So things like that. And someone said, how do you express high power output or how, how can you really train for that? So yeah. Josh, when it comes to high power output, I know we've talked about it before. We've said that you kind of have to earn your right to get there, right? It oh, was yeah. like, so you have to be good at the stuff we did yesterday, the stuff we did today, the 20 to 25, 35, 60, 90 minute pieces, yep. right? You have to be good at that stuff before you can get good at the 22nd type yes. stuff. Um, I'll just kind of let you... Yeah go now yeah so okay there's this is a, a deep one but a really really fun one so number one is you like you said you have to earn it and what we mean by that is I know people hear that and they're thinking well uh, I, I should just be able to do it because everybody's entitled to everything and it's like no 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 um, I guess in a sense you are entitled to do it but then if you mess around and hurt yourself because you actually can't recover from it then that's on you but that's a different conversation so first you you need to earn it by way of being strong enough and there's something that's called the strength continuum and we've talked a little bit about this but in a nutshell the way that this works is that there is motor control you just need to learn how to move um, express a range of motion do it without fatigue mechanisms being a limiting factor and then you move into like a strength endurance so you're you're starting to push up against the boundaries of um, high repetition stuff that is just below getting fatiguing and then from there you move into absolute strength and then after that there is strength speed work and then there is speed strength work all right so there's this whole continuum so we won't get into what's appropriate for who and what population but like how do you express high power output well you you need to understand that you've you've got to work your way through this specific continuum in order to get to power expression which is what happens when you're in strength speed or speed strength type events to kind of differentiate these two for folks so they understand more um, tactically what I mean is strength speed is your snatch or clean and jerk. Speed strength is uh, an overhead med ball toss or a sprint. Like, okay. Um, it, it, you're not going to work with a heavy load, but you are going to move if the heavy load is a, a 10-pound medicine ball or just your body weight like Usain Bolt sprinting. It's very, very high turnover. So the power expression is also very, very high. So um, how do you express high power output? You've got to be strong enough. Well, what does that mean? Like, how strong do I need to be? Well, it depends. What are you trying to express? Okay. Again, we use the it depends. But let's just say from a, a, a movement perspective, I would say you should be able to deadlift one and a half to double your body weight. So if you're a 150 pound person, you know, you should probably deadlift close to 300 pounds and then you could do the math from there. Um, you should probably be able to squat one and a half times your body weight. You should probably be able to press 75% of your body weight. Um, you should probably be able to bench press, you know, one and a quarter times your body weight. So those are just some generalities you should be able to do. Uh, if you're a male, a couple of strict pull-ups, say three to five. If you're a female, two to three strict pull-ups. When you can hit these requisites of uh, absolute strength, then you've kind of earned your way into working on some sort of strength speed type work. And it's not to say that we're putting this barrier in because it's, you know, you're part of the cool kids club or something. You got to be able to hit these metrics really it's because up to that point, what you have built is the neurological control or the, the neurological connections that things are firing right. The neurological control, um, especially on an eccentric component that you're not going to, you see this happen in old man softball leagues. Somebody hits a line drive to left field and they try to stretch a double into a triple. What happens? They blow their hamstring out Yeah. because they are over overdoing their body's ability to recover from the strength that they have. So they're expressing power before they have earned it. Maybe back in their college days, they had earned it, but you lost it. And I think we talked about that a couple weeks ago with like strength losses. Yeah. So there's that. 
Um, so there are some metrics that you need to have, and then you also have to realize the law of specificity. So if you're going to express um, a power exercise, here's a, here's a great example is by every metric, and I don't know if my brother will be listening to this, but by every traditional measure in the weight room, I know that I'm stronger than my youngest brother. I know I can deadlift more than him. I can clean and jerk, snatch, squat, press. I can do everything stronger than he can. But when you put us on a mound and we have to throw a baseball, there is no question that he's going to throw considerably. I mean, he was throwing really, really hard a couple months ago when we were practicing, but he will throw considerably harder because he has built up the specific pieces of his strength and then translated that into the coordination to be able to do it that way. Okay. And so that's a, another really, really important component is you can have somebody that is world-class strong, but if they don't have the coordination to do the movement that you are wanting to do from a power expression standpoint, doesn't matter, right? Right. I'll, and I'll give you another example on the flip side is by every, now things might be different nowadays, but say three, four years ago, um, when we were a little bit more evenly matched, by every absolute strength measure, including um, squatting, deadlifting, pressing, I was weaker than Jay was. Jay could squat more than me, he could deadlift more than me, he could press more than me, bench press more than me. But when it came time to snatch and clean and jerk, I could outdo him because I could express more of the strength that I had than he could. Right. That's because my movement efficiency is wicked good and I, I was just built to do those things better. Now, as we backed off of some absolute strength work with him and worked on his technique, guess what? Now he can clean and jerk and snatch more than I can. Right. So that's kind of like some surface level stuff. Yeah. I think what people need to take away from that is you need to be strong enough. So, for example, say somebody wants to do assault bike sprints, right? And that's how they want to train their high power output, right? And they want to do some of those sprints on there. What would you say what makes them strong enough? What kind of, what's the key, what's the gateway to be able to do work on something like that? Yeah. So if you look at some of the guys that can just produce obscene amount of power on the assault bike, what they're all going to have in common is their lower half is huge and very strong. Yeah. They don't have to be wickedly efficient because on a cyclical piece, it's like you're just moving like that's why it's cyclical is it just moving in circles and the bike takes care of it. They don't really have to do anything but just apply an obscene amount of power into the handles and into the pedals. Uh -huh. So the common characteristic of the people that are very good at expressing power on that are just freakishly strong in the lower body. And they've probably got a decent amount of upper body strength to match it, but it's not like the guys that skip leg day can go in there and beat a Rob Rivera on the assault bike. Yeah. They may be able to outbench him by, you know, 50%, but if they can't squat like he can, he's going to win seven days a week, 24 hours a day. So how, how can you express power on that thing? Like to the maximal is you just have to be very strong in the lower body. Got it. Yeah. Was that the question? Was that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It was, you know, it wasn't necessarily looking for a prerequisite or anything like, oh, you have to be able to squat this much or whatever, yeah. but just like, okay, what are the steps to take if that's something that you want to do? Right. And I think we get this question a lot and people ask because a lot of that, um, a lot of the stuff you look at, right. And a lot of the stuff that like, um, was preached for a long time, but I'm starting to see this new wave of almost like fitness advice coming in across the board, you know, whether it is from powerlifters or from marathoners and runners or CrossFitters or general functional fitness enthusiasts or whatever. Like, I think the idea is now starting to be widely accepted that that high intensity stuff repeated day in and day out is bad for you. Right. And, and, that's not to make a dig at anybody or anything, but like, I think, and like I mentioned, even CrossFit's starting to recognize that, hey, maybe not every day, dude, 
like not a hundred or 110% every day. And so we're starting to see this shift, excuse me, um, from that old mindset to, um, a new one that is saying, Hey, you should be working out more intentionally because it turns out that whatever you want to be better at, whether it is exercising or it's life or it's your job or it's your relationships, right? Um, you should probably not be working out as hard, right? You should be working out a little bit more intentionally because that carries over a little bit more. Um, and so the, the high power output question is definitely intriguing because a lot of what we see um, or used to see online is, hey, it was really intense. It was, hey, here's the, whether it was intense because of load. Like, hey, I just did, um, you know, the, I just PR'd my clean and jerker. Here's a PR snatch that you see online. Or um, here's this fast workout I just did. You know, CrossFit always posts who can do the fastest Fran, right? Mm-hmm. You know, whoever posts or the fastest Karen or whatever. Um, and so it's like, okay, how can I get better at that? And the questions you got to ask is one, are you ready to, Yeah. and, but before even doing that, why, like, why, yeah. why do you want to get better at that? Yeah. And the other thing to keep in mind too, is you, you don't know if you are able to express power unless you can do it repeatedly. And it, I don't mean you have to do it 10 times repeatable, but you at least have to do it twice, otherwise it's not measurable. Right. Right. So if you say, okay, I'm going to get onto the assault bike and go 30 seconds hard, and let's just say you get uh, 20 calories in that 30 seconds, and okay, if if that was an all-out effort, here's how to know: if you can sit down for two minutes and repeat that effort, you're not, uh, you did not express high power. Right. High power is where you go all out for that. What did I say? 30 seconds? 30. 30 seconds, and you're resting 8 minutes, 10 minutes in order to get up the nervous system fortitude to express that again. Right. And then if you can do it again, okay, can you rest another 6 minutes and then do it again? And then the minute that you can't, that you get less than 20, so 19 calories or less, you stop, and then you sit and evaluate. And you say, okay. I can't do it more than twice, so what does the training program look like to get me the ability to express power out past two rounds of 30 seconds all out? Do I have to increase my rest in between? So maybe instead of six minutes of rest, I go eight minutes of rest? So there are a lot of variables, and but again, you have to measure it against something to know if it's repeatable. Right. Because that's that's, I think, where a lot of programs and training can go wrong is you think, okay, I'm doing this, this AMRAP and like you mentioned, a four minute AMRAP and I'm doing it and it's high power output. Well, it depends if you were just to plot like what your intra set, uh, splits were, if your first one is three minutes and then you go to 315 and then 325, guess what? You should have stopped after the first one. And that's the whole thing that we've been teaching people over the last I don't even know how many months now is the ability to pace your workouts because that is actually how you can maximize, you know, what your power output is, right? So logic should dictate. And again, I have to understand what my bias in perspective is, is that somebody who's been doing this for a couple of decades now it's, it's different than people who just do this for an hour a day and then go on about their daily life. They don't think about it 24-7. But logic should dictate that if, you're, if, if it says you're working for 40 minutes versus if it says you're working for four, even if everything's the same, you're going to be going at a much different clip for the 40 minutes than you are for the four minutes. Right. So. Awesome. Cool. So how do you express it? Earn it. Get strong enough. And then you express it. Yeah. Um, so kind of segueing that right into the next question. Uh, this is something that, you know, a couple of us coaches were just talking about outside right after the 9 a.m. class. And it's, it's a topic on what I kind of dub movement compensation, right? So the question was, is if you're doing X movement and you're resorting to a certain movement pattern. So like, I know for us, it was say like a push press, right? So it was turning like a push press into a push jerk or think like if you are doing a back squat and your knees start caving in, um, but you're still able to do the work, 
what is exactly does this movement compensation mean um, and why is it important, right? So what really the, the qu- original question is like, what's happening there? Why is, why is it important to like, why does it matter if your knees come in on a back squat? I think that's a little bit more black and white. Like obviously we know that's bad, but if somebody is uh, turning a push press into a push jerk, why does, why does it matter? So they're still doing a shoulder overhead. They're still getting a press. What, what, what's the point? Why does it matter? Yeah. So the, you're, you're spot on with, with calling it movement compensation. So when we're specifically talking about the difference between, you know, a push press and a push jerk, um, in a push press, there is always going to be continual pressure to drive the bar up. Whereas in a push jerk, once the bar gets unweighted off the shoulders, the, the pressure is actually flipped and now you are pressing against the bar to push your body underneath it, right? Okay. And so you can kind of visualize this in your head as the load gets heavier on a push press, the bar is going to get unweighted less and less and less off your shoulders, which means that you are going to have to get further and further and further under it to actually catch it. And you can see this play out at the highest level of um, usually like the Chinese Olympic weightlifters that can push jerk all the way to the floor or they'll, they'll end up calling it a squat jerk because yeah. they'll catch it, you know, into a very narrow overhead squat position. So like that's, that's awesome. the ultimate expression, right? So cool. Um, I think you've had that ability to, to do that pretty well uh, in, in the past too. I'm a little bit tighter now, but I think maybe a couple, <laughs> couple more months of mobility, right. I could get back to it. Okay, so why the difference or why is it important? Well, number one, it's because it, they're two different movements and you can't say that you're doing one if you're, if you're, if you're doing another. Like, we're not arguing over semantics here. It's, it's two different movements. And so if, if I'm coaching you and I say, okay, we're doing push presses today and we're not going to rebend and get under the bar, so now I'm setting the standard. We've laid out the quote-unquote rules of the game, right? Yeah. And so we're all agreeing. We're push-pressing. We're not push-jerking. So no, that's number one why it's important is because that's then you're doing the thing that it is. Now, the other piece of why it's important is because of what the intention of the movement is. So like I said at the beginning, on a push-press, there's always pressure on the bar pressing it up. Okay? So... Excuse me, what we're really focusing on is having really, really good leg drive all the way through the top of your leg extension so that we can get maximal acceleration and then the arms can take over and do the work that they are able to do. When somebody is push jerking, usually what they will do is limit the leg drive because they know that they are going to be able to get under the bar. Right. Mm -hmm. So instead of just cueing them, okay, we're going to continue to press the bar up and because in a really good push jerk, like the Olympic weightlifters we talked about, they're not minimizing the leg drive, but they learn that because they got really good at the push press first. But if you skip ahead, it's like trying to learn calculus without learning basic arithmetic. Yeah. You could probably cheat your way through it, but you're not actually doing it. You're just guessing and getting some some things right. So that's the same thing that's going on with, well, but I can push jerk, so why should I learn to push press? Well, because if you learn to push press correctly, you're going to end up push jerking far more than you should. And here's a great, if, if you still aren't bought in on this, here's a, a great mathematical uh, perspective to think about. Don't hold me to these numbers, but they do hold true, you know, f- fairly decently, is uh, I think the rule of thumb is you should be able to push press about 30% more than you can strict press. And you should be able to push jerk about 30% more than you can push press. Got it. So if you say, well, you know, uh, it's, it's just a little bit more or it's significantly more than push jerk to push press, well, then you're doing the push press incorrectly. You're not actually using your legs. Right. And then what that should also clue you in on is, oh, I should actually be able to push jerk even more. And if you're not, if your push press is really, really high, but your push jerk is not, and mechanically you are okay of like the mechanics of getting the bar up, then maybe it's a mobility thing. 
So there's a lot of diagnostic that goes into it, but the first one is, can you do the push press right? Can you drive the bar up with your legs? Yeah. It's interesting because if some, you know, if we see somebody say they're turning 75, you know, say the weight's 75, 55 for men and women respectively, and they're turning a push press into a push jerk, it's, okay, we all like to go heavy. What happens when we do progress and we get strong enough, you know, take, bringing it back a little bit, um, and we get up to a 185, 135, right? What's going to happen when we try to push jerk? Like, are we going to be able to, the, the cue as coaches we always use is lock and land. Like, are we going to be able to lock our arms out at the same time we land? Like, probably not, right? Because the mechanics is off, right? So it's not like, oh, I need to, you know, because the argument I always here is I need to, I need to push jerk or I need to split jerk heavy more. Like, I need to keep clean and jerking heavy because I don't feel comfortable underneath it. It's like, well, you don't look comfortable underneath a light barbell so let's let's get that done first and i guarantee that's going to improve your ability to push press or push jerk or split jerk 185 much better than just hammering bad habits away and we've been saying that for years when it comes to olympic weightlifting it's not like oh now we're now we're doing something new so they're saying something new it's like no we've always said that it's just now we're being a little bit more i think um specific with it Uh, because we've always been okay like if you're in a class and back when we clean and jerked a lot, right, it was, hey, you're not going heavy today, right? Like, you're going to keep it light. And actually, we got to the point to where if people couldn't push jerk properly, it's like, well, let's just do push press instead, right? right? right. So um, that's that's a wave we've always ridden and we've always been on it. Um, so it's kind of cool to tie that into what we're saying now. Here's the other thing, too. You go back to the conversation on push press, a light-ish weight in a workout, 75, 55, it's faster to push press much. So do that correctly. If, yeah. if, if you're concerned, like to go back to the previous question to express high power output, it's going to be faster to push press than it is to push jerk yeah. for reps. Right. So there's that too, but I get it. Like it, it is hard to do it right. And I was sharing a story earlier with when I was uh, coaching Shannon and I had put some push pressing into her program, and I remember getting video, and we were going back and forth, and she was getting mad because I was telling her, like, you're not doing it right, and she's fighting, like, yes, I am, and so I would shoot a video, show it to her, do some comparison, and it took months to be able to get her to do it right, but when the light bulb went off, everything changed, Right. you know? Why were we doing that? Because where she was losing out on lifting more weight, it was never a, a amount of weight that she could clean. It was the amount of weight that she could get overhead. Her legs were strong enough. She just needed to put the mechanics together of using it to get the bar off the shoulders. So we push pressed a lot. Cool. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's about all I got. You got anything else you wanted to add? I think that was good. That's all I had today. That was good. Good on the questions. Programming, power output, uh, push press. Yeah. Movement, compensation, survival, right. movement, survival. Survive through your workouts, people. That's what gets you better. That's right. No. Just survive. Don't no. worry about thriving at all. Just die a <laughs> slow death. Yeah. Um, okay, this was, that was sarcasm for anybody yeah. that took that seriously, yeah, just please. in case I didn't lay it on thick enough. Gosh, please don't I got to take, take the rest of the effort. Wait a minute. Is it Wednesday, July, June 30th at 1122? Yes. It's correct. It I didn't even see it change. That's freaky. That is really That's weird. weird man. Now the, the computer just time traveled. Yeah. Wave at that FBI agent hanging out in your <laughs> camera there. Hey, dude. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, no, over here. I was listening to this podcast, and re- this is a real quick note, and there's this, uh, it, was, it's, it was the Matt Josh and Seven podcast, and so they do, they do it on video, right? And so they, they record their videos, and long, I think um, either Josh or I think Seven was saying that like long after they finished their podcast, like he went back to his computer later and they weren't recording or anything. He didn't even have his app up, but the same little light, you know, we got a light that turns on the green light. He said his was still on. Like, oh, and man. so he just closed his laptop. <laughs> he didn't open again until they did the podcast next time. I'm like, dude, that's freaky. Like, yeah. you know, what are the chances it's recording you? Um, you know, and, but it's just kind of weird that, okay, if you see that little green light on, I know yeah. people that put their, oh, their yeah. tape on yeah. to the little camera. They're, they're, they're a little paranoid. Yeah. Tim, tinfoil hat dude, type deal. 
Yeah, you're 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 already giving away so much information. Like the camera is the least of your worries. Trust me. That's you carry your phone with you everywhere you go. You're giving the powers that be all the information they would ever need. We don't need to turn into a conspiracy theorist podcast, yeah. but just just be aware, people. Come on. Why the people that are like, oh, you know, they they want to they want to. They want to vaccinate you to put the little chip in you or whatever. It's like, bro, you're carrying around a, a ten-inch little chip yeah. with you, and right. you got your computer and you got your Apple Watch. Like, they have more heart rate data and activity yeah. data and location data on you than you even know. And people are still like, no way, doctor, my location service yeah. is off. It's like, come on, yeah. come on. <laughs> do you have? Do you subscribe to Sirius XM Radio? There's a GPS antenna. I can tell when, where you're going when. You have like OnStar, like Mandy's new car's got this tracking app. I can t- I've actually screenshotted like, why are you over here? Because I can see where she's at on the app. Yeah. I can tell w- if her engine's on or off, what the air conditioner is set to, what the seats are doing in the car, like all that stuff. So come on. We look like the guys with the really messed up hair at the board with the markers on it. Like, you see what I'm talking about, people? <laughs> the computer just time traveled. I mean, come on, yeah. people. It's over. So thanks to your computer for getting us down that track. That's right. Thanks, Apple, MacBook Apple, Pro. Yeah, they, they definitely know where everybody is. Yeah. Jeez. All right. With that, I'm out of here. Josh is out of here. He's actually going to do the outro after I tell you thank you for watching and listening and leave a five-star written review. If you listen on iTunes, it really helps the podcast. This has been episode 80 of the Arts of Coaching with Mark Z and Josh Martin, J-Mart. So we will see you for episode 81 in two weeks. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Art of Coaching podcast. We are sincerely appreciative for each listener that we have. If you have any questions that you'd like answered, please send them our way. All contact info can be found in the description of each episode below. 